May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The prophet Jeremiah lived when the political map of the area was being redrawn. The power of the Assyrians was waning, and the power of Babylonia was rising. The people refused to believe the world would change. And it was into this situation that Jeremiah was called to be a prophet. We read about this in chapter 1 of the book of Jeremiah. He was probably in his early 20s when God called him. And I've always remembered this phrase when he said, I am too young to take on this role. Like Moses and many others who have been called by God, there can be a reluctance to act. But Jeremiah did act, and he had a very difficult life in ministry. Because through his lifetime, he was used and required by God to bring messages from him that the people were reluctant to hear. He is sometimes called the weeping prophet, and his ministry lasted for 40 years. Though um, Jeremiah warned the people that disaster was coming and they should turn back to God, they did not do so. And so he had to tell them that the city of Jerusalem and the temple, all that that meant to the people, would be destroyed. And to ask Barbara to put a map up on the screen for us of this area. Um, You can see Jerusalem on the left by the Mediterranean Sea. And if you follow the green line, the bottom arc, you can see where Babylon is. Thank you, Barbara. So Babylon is the most famous city from the ancient Mesopotamia in the fertile plain between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. And those ruins of that city can be seen today in modern-day Iraq. So as he has prophesied, when Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians in 587 B.C., People were taken to Babylon as slaves. They marched 500 miles across the desert. That's about as far as London is to Dundee. If we were walking there, okay, that would be different terrain, it would be hilly, marshy, all sorts of things. But theirs was through the desert. And they were taken into exile with many of their leaders. Imagine that, what that's like. For those of you who perhaps are, it's not your country here. You know what it can be like to come to a different country where food is different, 
language is different, all sorts of things you have to get to grips with. And that's the same for us if we go for work or whatever. We have to be part of those places. They were without the temple, and all around them were idols. Now they remained exiles until King Cyrus allowed them to return home in 538 BC, which was again prophesied by Jeremiah. In chapter 29, verse 14, God declares, I shall bring you back to the place from which I exiled you. So our first reading today from Jeremiah, Jeremiah writes this letter to the captives who are deported to Babylon with King Jehoiakim. Among them are the surviving elders and priests and other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried with them into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It is a letter of comfort, it is practical, and it clearly speaks of God's plan for them in exile. The exile will not be short, although some of the false prophets had said that it would be. And they are to settle down there and make the most of it. So what was the detail of the letter? It's only verses 4 to 7, which is the content. Not many verses, but there is a lot said in those verses. First of all, it says in 1, God, verse 1, God is Lord Almighty, able to keep and deliver them. God is the God of Israel, and he is still in covenant with his people. Reminded that Jeremiah was in the days of the old covenant. But he prophesied that there would be a new covenant through Jesus Christ. And we know that at the Last Supper, we know where Jesus uses the words of the new covenant. The next day, he will die upon the cross and rise again for us three days later that we might have that new life in him. Back to the time when the letter was written, Jeremiah sees that, but he wants them to stand firm for God and for them not to worship Babylonian idols. So these verses 4 to 7. This is what the Almighty says, the God of Israel said to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, 
you too will prosper. Jeremiah wants them to promote the the country they are living in, and they are not to throw off the yoke of their captors. Seek the peace of the city. Endeavor to promote as far as you can the prosperity of the places in which you live. Be positive and watch what you do and say. And you are not to rail against your exile. Most of you will have seen the film Chariots of Fire. It tells a fact-based story of two athletes in the 1924 Olympics. Eric Liddell, a devout Scottish Christian, who runs for the glory of God, and Harold Abrahams, an English Jew, who runs to overcome prejudice. The film ends two decades before Eric Liddell's death with these two sentences on the screen. Eric Little, missionary, died in occupied China at the end of World War II. All of Scotland mourned. Eric was a missionary in China as his father had been before him. And I've just read a new biography called For the Glory, written by Duncan Hamilton, which completes his life story. Eric was a truly selfless human being who gave everything he had to others. He was interned in Weissen Camp by the Japanese in China. He is an example of someone who prayed for the welfare of the city. During his time in the camp, he lit his peanut oil lamp in the darkness and prayed for one hour every morning. Every night, after studying the Bible, he also prayed. He did not discriminate. He prayed for everyone, even his Japanese guards. Little died in the camp on 21st of February, 1945, from an inoperable brain tumour. His fellow missionary said Little's last word were, were, it's complete surrender. This was a reference to how he had given his life to God's purposes. The New Testament tells us that men and women of faith have always looked at this world as only a temporary home. We are invited to approach life with the same attitude as Abraham and all those after him who have been those women and men of faith. In Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 16, we read, 
All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. From the beginning, Christians have been conscious of both being in the world while not of it. Jesus famously told his questioners to render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. The early Christians appreciated the benefits of civil society. Jesus instructing them to obey the law and honor the emperor And in the New Testament, they emphasized that our religious obligations to God do not cancel out our membership in civil society. Whether as public officials or us as ordinary people, we vote and we pay taxes. We enjoy the peace, security and justice that civil society makes possible but we have corresponding obligations. We have political choices, as we discovered in the referendum to leave or stay in the EU. As Christians and citizens, we need to be particularly attentive to this dimension of political decision. We need to make sure we vote. Now, sometimes we are called upon to face tremendous difficulties as a result of our choosing to follow Jesus. Jeremiah told the exiles of his day to live as normal lives as possible. And he also told them to pray for the welfare of the city which had taken them captive. And much in the same way, Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies as well as for our government, both nationally and locally. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was born in 1906 and died April 9, 1945, was a Protestant Lutheran pastor, theologian, and active in the German resistance to the policies of Hitler and Nazism. His writings on Christianity's role in the secular world have become widely influential. And his book, The Cost of Discipleship, became a modern classic. Apart from his theological writings, Bonhoeffer was known for his staunch resistance to the Nazi dictatorship. He was arrested in April 1943 by the Gestapo and imprisoned at Togel Prison for one and a half years. Later, he was transferred to a Nazi concentration camp. He was executed by hanging on the 9th of April, 1945, just as the Nazi regime was collapsing. 
He wrote this from prison on March 19, 1944. I think we should live even in this place as though we had no desires and no future to hope for and just be our true selves. It is remarkable what influence one acquires in this way over other men. We can have a full life even when we haven't got everything we want. That is what I am really trying to say. Little and Bonifer show clearly that our lives are only ter- ter- temporary. Both lived their lives in the service of God. Jeremiah calls the people to be positive in their exile and to be free from inertia and self-pity. Clearly something for us to hear when we experience difficult times. This famous verse from Jeremiah 29, 11 is in this part we read to verses 4 to 7, but this is what it says, which are very familiar verses. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is what was said to the people in captivity. He tells the people in exile, Jeremiah tells them, they will be there for a long haul. But after the exile, God will restore restore the joy and prosperity in their homeland. So God is ready for us to call on him by seeking God with our whole hearts, by living with justice and loving kindness. We will find God. We are called to live in in a community, whether it's at work, whether it's in the community in your neighborhood, whether it's a family of church, wherever it is, we are there for the people who are around us, whoever they might be. Seek the welfare of the city, Jeremiah says. It is practical for them to do so for their well-being and security. Just going to to read um, a passage which talks about the the outsider. And it's a a passage in a gospel very, very familiar to you, which tells how Jesus heals ten men with leprosy. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village... Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw him was healed, came back. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, 
were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. One leper was a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans were not in relationship. There was this war, if you like, between them. But he was the one who gave thanks. The other nine, we presume to be Jews, in the reading, didn't. New life that Israel was longing for as a part of the age to come arrived through Jesus that day. So we see clearly the gospel of salvation that Jesus brings to all people. The exiles were part of God's renewed plans for his people, which would happen in God's timing. Jeremiah's letter speaks to us, whatever our situation, God is in charge. He is with us. We are to wait patiently for his divine purposes. I'm going to finish with um, a verse from Philippians chapter 2, which we actually were studying a few weeks ago um, at parish prayers on a Thursday morning. And I was just prompted to use this verse because I am probably the greatest grumbler in the world. But this is what the reading says. Do all things without murmuring or arguing or grumbling so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. The shrewd manager, which one served God, in which you shine like stars in the world. So I say to myself, and I guess there are others of us that, you know, life does get us down sometimes so I just read that again do all things without murmuring and arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world so whether you're in a place of exile whether you're in a place of sickness whether you're in a place of bereavement, whether you are finding it difficult with things that are going on around you, remember, we are to shine like stars in the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Amen.